chapter 13 once again here tonight. Uh, we'll start there in uh, Romans chapter 13. We're considering some thoughts on, on the Bible concerning God and, and government. And there's certainly a lot of different thoughts uh, from the Word of God on this subject. I've been looking over the last few weeks at this thought and uh, on uh, Wednesday nights. And so we're going to continue with some thoughts there tonight. Romans chapter 13 and verse number 1. Romans 13 verse 1. And let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they shall resist, uh, uh, and that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Without that, be afraid of the power. Do that which is good, and thou shalt praise the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Tonight I'd like to look at some key issues when it comes to Christian voters, and as we do here tonight, I'd like us to consider a chance to pray to the Lord and ask him to give us wisdom here tonight. Father, let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for tonight. Thank you for this time we can assemble Thank you that we can freely assemble as a nation. Thank you for our Constitution. We thank you again for our government. We thank you again for our Christian heritage. And uh, do we ask that you would just uh, bless this time as we study once again on the subject of, of government, powers, uh, issues that face voters. Again, just ask that you bless this time as we meet again here tonight. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at some general thoughts on God and government. We found out, first of all, that God ordained government to be good. And that's why government should exist. In fact, look at verse 3. It says, for, ye, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. You see the word good used there twice goes on in verse 4, for he is a minister of God to thee for good. And so God ordained government to be good is part of God's plan that there is a civil government. And it's certainly seen throughout history uh, in every society there are governments established and therefore the good of a citizen. What is the purpose of government? Well, we see there in Romans 13 and also 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 14 and following, uh, the key roles of government are two, and just two, to punish the evildoer and to praise the good. Now that might seem odd. Someone might say, well, what's government for? Well, it can be summed up with those things, to punish the evildoer and to praise the good. It says this here in verse number 14, it says, He is a minister of God to thee for good, but 
If thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so we see again, one of the roles of government is to punish the evildoer. But it's also to praise those that are good. Verse number three, it says, For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Praise of who? Rulers. People in authority. These are the general roles of government to punish the evildoer and thereby protect the citizen and to praise those that are good. And so they should promote that was good and right. And as we pointed out, and I know that most people don't see government that way, but it mentions again that government is to be a minister or servant to God. It says in verse number four, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. Who is he talking about? Verse number three, for rulers. They're ministered to God for, the, for good. God appoints rulers for that purpose. We saw also, again, God commands Christians to submit to government. We see that in verse number one, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power of God, but the powers that be ordained of God. And so God commands Christians to be subject to different authorities and powers. And we studied on the thought that we are to obey the highest authority, which is God at the top. And whatever God says to do is what Christians should do first and foremost. We're to abide by the law of God, but also the law of the king, which it mentions in the book of Ezra. We also see here, when it comes to government, that we are to pay our taxes or tribute, as mentioned here in verse number 6 and verse 7. It says, for this cause pay ye tribute, for they are God's minister attending, continue to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, uh, fear to whom fear, honor to honor. So you see tribute mentioned there, custom is mentioned there, and so paying taxes, that's something Christians should do. In verse number seven, it mentions we also should pay respect or honor, honor to whom honor is due. Again, the Bible talks about honoring the king, honor those in authority. And then I mentioned there last week, we should thoroughly seek to participate. If we have the opportunity, I believe, in voting, and someone says, well, why would you want to participate in voting? Because the king or the rulers, they have some control over your life, and as a result, with us having the right to vote, we can have a control over who rules over us. When a righteous ruler rules, the people rejoice. But with a tyrant-type king, people are placed in a place of burden and care. And so I mentioned, again, some things to look in a candidate, and I'll just mention these quickly. I want to get on to the next part of the message here. But uh, some general guidelines when it comes to picking a candidate, look for someone who respects God based on the Bible, 2 Samuel 23, verse number 3. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Look for someone who has a respect for God. Secondly, someone who has a respect for principle. He must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Unbiased, fair, equitable. That's who you should be looking for when you're voting for someone. Someone who's truthful, 
Exodus chapter 18, verse number 21, when Moses was looking for people to help him lead the country, he was looking for men of truth that hated covetousness. And then we also looked at the thought of people that are thoughtful, thoughtful that they are judging for the Lord. 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 6, you judge not for man, but for the Lord who is with you in judgment. And then also we looked at someone who's wise or prudent. We saw Joseph was chosen by Pharaoh to be set in a position of leadership because he's wise and prudent. Let's take our Bibles here tonight. We're going to turn over to Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, Isaiah, towards the middle of your Bible, Isaiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. And uh, we're going to see here in the Bible an unusual position that we find God's people are, uh, were in. But as we see them in an unusual position here, I think we're going to learn a little bit here about government from this passage, at least to begin with. I just want to start here looking at an unusual situation when it comes to God's people and government. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 1 through verse number 14, we find God's people in a place of captivity under the Babylonians, starting verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent unto Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders that were carried away captives, and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jokaliah the king and the queen and the eunuchs and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem by the hand of Elsa, the son of Shaphan. It mentions a number of different guys here and kings there. I'm going to skip through that. Verse 4, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem unto Babylon. It was part of God's plan. just want to mention that captivity was part of God's plan. And again, if you study the Bible, you know that. And he mentions that, that he, he was involved with that. And then he mentions there, in captivity, this is what they're to do. And keep this in mind. They're in captivity. They're in bondage. They're in another country, not of their choosing. He says in verse 5, Build ye houses, dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your own sons, and give your daughters to the husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that ye may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city with, I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in that peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets nor diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, nor neither hearken to your dreams which they cause to, dream, uh, to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, 
and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I'll hearken unto you, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search with me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away the captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I've driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place where I caused you to be carried away captive. Jeremiah chapter 29, we find God's people in an unusual circumstance in life. They are in captivity. I don't believe anyone here tonight has been in a position of captivity. But as he talks to them about their captivity, he talks about it being part of God's plan. It's going to be 70 years of captivity. And that was according to the will of God. But I want you to see here in this passage of Scripture, and again, this is just kind of an introductory thought, they're going to make the best of their time under a different government. And I just want to say this, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with the coming election, but we might be on a totally different government, uh, you know, as far as either locally, nationally, whatever it might be. And it uh, doesn't matter what government you are under. I believe, again, the, the plan's basically the same. And uh, I just want to point out here in verse number four, let's read just verse four through seven. I'll just look at a few things. Uh, under this uh, circumstances that God's people were under. Verse 4 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away captive from Jerusalem unto Babylon. So this message is to who? It's to God's people. Uh, to all that have been carried away captive. Here, here's what they're supposed to do in captivity. Build ye houses, dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat fruit in them. Take ye wives and begot sons and daughters, and take ye wives unto your sons, and give their, your daughters to husbands, that ye may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased therein and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city. This is a key verse here. Seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall you have peace. We see here tonight just some thoughts on what might we do under different kinds of governments. I just want to just say this. First of all, we should seek, first of all, to be productive under any kind of government. Verse 4 says, build ye houses, plant gardens. Build houses, plant gardens. Verse 6, it talks about increasing there through having children, having marriages, those sorts of things, and not diminishing there. Uh, it says, uh, seek to increase there. It says, you know, marry and all those kind of things and bear sons, daughters, to be increased, not decreased. They weren't supposed to go to this captive place and, and not have children and not do whatever it might be and, and that sort of thing. They were really to maintain really a, a regular kind of form of life as much as was possible. And I just want to say this, when it comes to, again, any kind of government, we should seek to be productive. We should seek to increase under whatever kind of government it is. And we should seek peace in the place that God puts us. Verse number 7, it says there, And seek peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in peace thereof shall you have peace. And so we should seek to, again, uh, pray for peace, pray for the city, that God might put us in wherever we're at. Certainly a lot of different thoughts one could draw from this passage of Scripture, but I just want to start here tonight uh, with a passage of Scripture that shows some people placed in a position that they had no choice of, 
And yet we're to make the best out of that situation. So I just want to say this when it comes to politics and society and government. Do the best that you can do under whatever form or whatever place God puts you under. Just think about Joseph and where he was placed in life. He did the best with what he was given in circumstances in life. But I want to consider some issues here tonight. I know there's some here that will vote for the first time. Uh, it comes to mind, I'm not sure who will or who won't for the first time, but I know my daughter Elizabeth there in the back will probably vote for the first time. Are there any other first-time voters that get to vote for the first time? You're going to vote for the first time, vote for the first time, etc. You know, I didn't have any idea necessarily as an 18-year-old uh, who to vote for at the first time. But I'm talking to you tonight from a Christian perspective here tonight. And so as I talk to you from a Christian perspective here tonight, I, again, I'm going to talk to you about se uh, several key issues that Christians should consider when it comes to voting. And, and these may not be your issues. You can vote however you want. Maybe you don't want to vote at all. It does, I, it's not you know, up to me. But I'm just saying if you're interested in voting, uh, there are some key issues that Christians should consider when it comes to voting and I understand, again, people will say different things about these issues, and uh, everybody's welcome to their opinions on them. But there are some major issues that, again, candidates uh, do represent or candidates don't represent, and so consider a few of them here tonight. I, I may extend this, these key issues to, to next week. Again, it depends on how fast I can cover this here tonight. I think 10 issues are going to be way too much, so I think I'm going to try to cover five here tonight. Uh, because the first issue is going to take a long time. I think it's the most key issue that Christians should consider when it comes to voting. I think it's a very important issue because 42 million people died last year. 42 million people died last year. 42 million died last year and I didn't hear about it? Yes, 42 million people died last year. It's a key issue. Abortion. 42.4 million people died last year. You can find it on world metrics. They have all kinds of statistics. You want to see something twirl, like the most cell phones, how many people are buying TVs. They have all these different metrics. But 42 million people died last year. And is anybody talking about this issue well, it doesn't concern me, it doesn't concern other people, but just think about it. 42 million people died last year on world metrics. That means the most people that died last year died from abortion. 8.2 million people died from cancer last year, but 42 million people died killing their own children. Five million people died last year because they smoke. 1.7 million people died because of HIV and AIDS. But 42 million people died last year because of abortion. And there's very little that people talk about this. 61 million people since 1973 in the U.S. have died because of abortion. Those are statistics you can find. 125,000 people die every day because of abortion. 
Just imagine that. That's hard to even fathom. Fargo-Moorhead is about 200,000 people, 120,000 people, which is about the size of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, die every day because of abortion. I know you might say, does God care about this? Should Christian voters be concerned about this? I think we should be. We should be. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 6. The first point here tonight is probably a point that might seem, you know, to some not something they need to even care about. They might think that, you know, it's all about a woman's right to choose and all those kind of things. But I want to just take and put into defense from the Bible a life perspective. I'd encourage you to support life candidates. Now that's up to you. And someone says, you're telling me what to do. No, I'm, I'm encouraging you something to do. It's up to you what you do. I could uh, encourage you tonight to support death candidates. I can do that too. But I'm not going to do it. You say, why ain't I going to do that? Because the Bible supports life instead of death. Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 16 and verse 17. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imagination, feet that run swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lie, he that soweth discord, among the brethren. In the things that God hates, you'll see there in uh, verse number 17, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. I can't think of anybody more innocent in general than a baby. Now, you probably could, maybe someone could, but I just think about a baby. They're innocent. They've committed no crimes. They've not even done anything wrong. But they would like life. Just like you have life today, they would like life. And yet, 42 million babies died last year. That's just hard to believe, hard to fathom. I mean, it's hard to get your head wrapped around the statistics when it comes to abortion. One billion people are dead today because of abortion, plus. You think God hates that? He does. He hates it. And so, should we hate abortion? Yes, we should. Should we support abortion? No, we shouldn't. Infants are infants, whether they're in the womb or out of the womb. Let's turn to Job chapter 3. Now, I just want to point some of these things out because someone, wants to, someone says, well, I need a reason for doing what I'm doing. I'm going to try to give you a few thoughts here on why you should do what you do when it comes to the life issue. You either support life or death. Casting votes. Now, I understand that. Sometimes, again, there's, you know, whatever. There's uh, blurring to this. You don't know what you're for surely going to support, etc. because there's people that straddle the fence or won't tell you where they stand, etc. I get all that. But uh, if you know, again, a candidate is pro-death, it's just a bad candidate in the first place because there's just a lot of things that can go. If they can kill, and I'm getting ahead of myself, they can kill the innocent, the baby, and they can rule that we can kill the elderly. Could they rule at some point they can kill you? 
I'm not saying that, but that could happen. That has happened. I mean, maybe you're of a particular race or color or creed or thought process. Maybe you're a Christian or a non-Christian or you're a Jew or you're whatever you are. See, candidates like that don't belong in office. I, I just really believe that because the Bible wouldn't, wouldn't have people that kill people ruling over people because they wouldn't be just, especially killing the innocent. Job chapter 3, verse number 16, the Bible says, and this is speaking of a miscarriage here, it says, or as the hidden untimely birth, I had not been, as infants which never saw the light. You know, some of you have experienced miscarriages. I know a lot of people have experienced miscarriages. But when those babies are identified in the Bible, they're identifying as infants which never saw the light. It's sad that we take away and we kill babies, and yet at the same time we defend and we punish people for killing eagles and animals and all kinds of things. I don't know all the things with those today. I don't know what, I mean, if you killed again, you know, uh, uh, an adult, whatever it might be, animal that was carrying an infant of some kind, you could probably be penalized for doing that and uh, have jail time for doing that, maybe an endangered species or whatever it might be. You could be in trouble for doing that, yet we'll put innocence to death. Why should you support life? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. Why should you support life rather than death candidates? Again, someone doesn't want to necessarily been Painted as a death candidate, would really rather be I'm pro-choice. Well, really, you're pro-death. If we identify you truthfully, you're pro-death. You're not pro-life, you're pro-death. I mean, there's one side and the other. That's really what it is. One's pro-life and one's pro-death. I know I understand that might be too plain for some, but it's really where it stands. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 12, it says, Therefore, all, all things... Whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, this verse represents what we call the golden rule. That is doing to people what we want done to us. Now, I know you, I would guess, I'm not sure about this, but I would guess just about everybody here enjoys their life. And is glad that their mom chose life, and they have life. And so, again, the Bible says we're to do unto others what they want done to us. And so what if you were a woman and you got pregnant and you didn't want a baby? I understand you may not want the baby, but what should you do in that situation? Well, there's a number of different things you could do. You certainly could, it could end up in adoption if you truly didn't want the baby. I'm sure there'd be someone who'd take that baby in a heartbeat. But you should support life because what you'd want somebody to do you, that do also to them. You got life from your mom, and uh, certainly you should give life to children if, of course, you're a lady here. I understand all the arguments to and against abortion. They talk about rape, incense, all these kind of things. But uh, supporting the goal of the rule, 
would tell you to give grace maybe to that baby who had nothing really to do that situation. It says, wherefore all things whatsoever you would do to men, do, do to them, uh, to you, uh, do to them. Can't even read. Anyways, you can read the verse better. So anyways, you reread it. I'm not reading it the best, but, but you'd want people to give you life. And so, again, just based on the golden rule, we should support life. I mean, do unto others as they want done to you. You, you got life? Shouldn't you support life? I mean, even if it was hard for your mom to have all those kids, like maybe my mom has talked about, all those five kids. You know, a lot of moms to feed, five boys. I got two of them. I got one that eats a lot, one that doesn't eat so much. But imagine five hungry boys. Mom called those wolves, five wolves. Um... To bribe for them. That's not an easy task. But yet at the same time, God would have us to support life. And so uh, each of us was born, each of us according to God's will and time and whatever it might be, and we had life. And so God is pro-life. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. As you look at life, you need to look at in the eyes of God. Now, a lot of people don't want to look through the eyes of God because that could lead to their conscience having some problems with it if they've done different things and, and that sort of thing. But we need to look through the eyes of God and, and look at what God thinks about life and what God thinks about children, what the Bible uh, says about children. Genesis chapter 4, verse number 1, first baby being born, it says, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. So what did Adam and Eve get? They got a man from the Lord. They got someone from the Lord, a gift from the Lord. Verse 25, same chapter, it says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain had slew. Now some people have children, and maybe they'll have one children live and and uh, grow up a little bit, and then a child dies, passes off the scene, which you find in his first family. And you see again here, uh, Eve talk about Seth. For God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Gave me more, gave me children. She was glad for her children. Children are a blessing from the Lord to be received as a blessing from God. And children are children, whether in, in the air, so to speak, and breathing air, or whether they've seen the light or whether they haven't seen the light. Let's turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I wonder, I often wonder, and I've mentioned this before, I, I often wonder if there's someone who may have come along and maybe cured something that we face today that was killed as an aborted child. Is there someone who may have invented something that could help society? Is there someone, again, who can make a huge difference that someone killed that could have been alive today, that could have helped along the way? I, I just wonder sometimes. Psalm 139, verse number 13. I would guess that most children make a difference some way, somehow in life. Maybe in a small field, but uh, they make some difference in every life, but 
We've been robbed of one million, about, about one million people every year in America. Again, I don't know what exact statistics are now in America. But 125,000 people a day we lose where innocent children are put to death. Psalm 139, verse number 13 the Bible says, For thou hast possessed my lane, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth well, well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuous were fashioned. When anyways, yet none of them talking about the forming of a child within the mother's womb and how fearfully and wonderfully made this individual is and how they're fashioned by God within the womb. It's a miraculous thing if you think about going from two cells to all the things we become in time. But God is pro-life. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 21. Imagine if there was never a Moses or a Samson or whoever it might be throughout history. What if there wasn't a Joseph? What, what if there wasn't whoever it might be? How different the world was, would be, etc. And a lot of times around Christmas, you know, there's a whatever a movie people watch and deals with a guy who, how different things would have been if he wasn't there. Exodus chapter 21 and verse number 22. The Bible even talks about killing the unborn in the Old Testament. Notice here in Exodus chapter 21, verse number 22, it says, If a man strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, she shall, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, but you shall pay as the judge is determined. And if mischief foul, then it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And it goes on from there. I know this is the Old Testament, and I get that and understand that and that sort of thing. But just notice the words there, verse 22, if a man strive and hurt a woman with child. The Bible sees women with children whether inside or out. And so I just want to say this, first of all, when it comes to key issues that Christians should consider, is this person pro-life or are they pro-death? Do they support abortion? Because every child is a gift from God and life matters both to us and to God. Secondly, let's consider here tonight Exodus chapter 20, verse number 15. A second issue that it's going to become an issue, I believe, more and more as time progresses. Maybe not such an issue, maybe with you or others today, but I want to consider secondly as an issue here tonight, does the candidates support euthanasia? Euthanasia, what's that? That's what they call so-called mercy killing. Where a doctor comes along and causes a death, of someone who's alive. They call it assisted suicide. There's other names given to it. 
Exodus chapter 20, verse number 15. The Bible says here, uh, verse 13, I should be looking at, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Now, I think just about everybody knows the Ten Commandments in that one. Thou shalt not kill. That's the big one they would say. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. The Bible says not to kill. And so does it even make sense for a doctor to be involved with killing? No, a doctor should never try to cause a death. They're always in the life-saving business. I thank God for doctors who are there to save lives. I know you didn't grow up when Jack Kevorkian, a lot of you guys were too young to hear that name. Anybody heard Jack Kevorkian? Yeah. In the early 1990s, he administered a lethal dose to a woman who was 54 years old by the name of Janet Atkinson because she was at the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. You know, my mom has Alzheimer's. There's a lot of people that have Alzheimer's. And uh, she wanted to die. And so this Jack Kevorkian came along and administered a drug that caused her to die at 54 years old. That's what assisted suicide is about, or euthanasia. You know, our country didn't recognize these things until the 1990s. In Oregon, in the 19, I think it's 1994, 1995, Oregon first allowed for doctors to assist people in dying or ending their life. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 27. Um, euthanasia. I, I know that doesn't maybe... You know, someone says, well, that's not an issue for me. I just want to cover it because I think it is an issue that we should be concerned about. Life and death issues, that's what God's word is about. That's what truth is about. Heaven's about. Hell's about. Uh, life and death, that's what the church should be teaching about. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse number 25. It says, Cursed be he that taketh reward to slay an innocent person. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be that he taketh reward to slay an innocent person. Imagine being in a place as a doctor where you're encouraged or told or uh, paid to put someone down, put someone to death. I know we do it to dogs, we do it to cats, we do it to animals all the time. We put animals down, etc. I understand that, and I, I know that people do that, and, and there's reasons they do that, etc., but Again, the principle of slaying an innocent person, the Bible says, here is a, a cursed thing to do. Cursed be he that taketh reward for to slay the innocent person. Cursed be he that taketh reward. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 16 through verse number 19. Deuteronomy 16 through verse 19, it says, In that I have commanded thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess. And if thine heart turn away, so that thou will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce you on this day that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days in the land, whether you go to, uh, whether thou whether thou passest over Jordan to possess it. I call you 
I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Now I just want to just mention here, I mean, we're faced with life and death choices. And people are faced with life and death choices. And you and I might be faced with a very difficult choice when it comes to a case of euthanasia. And there have been cases like that. They'll say, you know, that person's life is not worth living anymore. Let's just put them down, whatever it might be. And I get that people will say that. But yet the Bible condemns slaying the innocent. Let's turn to Psalm 106. Slaying the innocent, we shouldn't slay the innocent. I mean, you'll see in the Bible that the government can come along and slay those that are guilty of capital punishment. And that's a right thing. I just want to say that's a right thing because some people don't believe in that and uh, certainly should believe in it because the Bible would teach you that. Uh, but if your guidelines aren't the Bible, maybe that's not the case. But look here at Psalm 106 here, verse number 36 through verse number 38. Uh, slaying the innocent is condemned in Deuteronomy, is condemned in Exodus, is condemned here in the book of Psalms, Psalm 106, verse number 36 through verse number 38. It says, And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and land was polluted with blood. I've seen tracks depict this with abortion. I think it also applies to uh, euthanasia there too. They sacrifice their sons to daughters and death. They shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrificed. I don't believe it's anybody's right to choose to terminate someone's life by administering drugs to them. I just can't imagine that. I, you know, you normally take drugs what, for what purpose? To get better, right? Just in general, to get better. But sometimes they'll administer drugs to kill someone. Now this is done in places like Denmark on a regular basis, in Holland. And, uh, but people just think about life and they think, you know, life is life and death is death. But there's so much more to talk about with that. But I just want to say that does a person support euthanasia or do they oppose it? And there's varying degrees in that. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13. Does a candidate thoroughly, do they support capital punishment or do they oppose it? Do they support capital punishment, which is an extension of Romans chapter 13, verse number 4, where it is one of the things that government can do to people that violate the law. Again, I just, I'm going to read a few verses, but here's Romans chapter 13, verse number 4. It's the government's responsibility to punish the evildoers, and they can go as far as putting them to death, according to the Bible. Romans chapter 13, verse number 4. For he is a minister to God for thee to good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. He beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister to God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. We'll look through a few verses here quickly. Let's turn back to Genesis chapter 9. Government was established, and one of the chief reasons government was established was to deal with people killing people, 
people murdering people, people putting people to death. You know, uh, when Cain and Abel's situation was around, we didn't have the death penalty, we didn't have governments established, etc. And uh, again, things went as they were. But notice here in uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse number 6, it says, And whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. This we call the institution of the death penalty in Genesis chapter 9. Exodus chapter 21, let's turn over there. Exodus 21, we looked at this a little bit already, but I'd like to look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 says, thou shalt not kill. And then someone says, well, that, that gets rid of the death penalty. Well, Exodus 20 is really close to Exodus chapter 21. Look at Exodus chapter 21, verse number 12. Exodus 21, verse number 12, it says, He that smiteth a man, so that he die, he shall surely, he, he, he shall be surely put to death. If a man lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I'll appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Well, there's a difference between manslaughter and murder. I'm not going to get into that here tonight, but I just want to mention this here. It says there, if a man, he smiteth a man, so they die, he shall surely be put to death. That's the death penalty again. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Let's go forward here. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Again, it's good for us on a Bible study night to look at the Bible. And so we're going to do that here. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Picking up at verse number 11. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse number 11. <clears throat> the Bible says, But if a man hate his neighbor, and lie in wait for him, and rise up against him, and smite him mortally, that he die, and fleeth into one of these cities, then the elders of the city shall send and fetch him thence, and deliver him to the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. Then I shall not pity him, thou shalt put away the guilt of the innocent from Israel, that it may go well with thee. Now, I'm not going to get into all this, but I just you see here in the Bible, if someone, again, is a murderer, they rise up, they kill someone, they flee to a city, they should be delivered to this person, again, who has the obligation to slay them. Verse number 15. When it comes to capital punishment, it's not just a free-for-all. There are guidelines to it, even in the Old Testament, verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against another for iniquity or for any sin, and in any of that he witness uh, that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses, at the mouth of three witnesses, shall a matter be established. If a false witness rise against any to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between the controversy shall stand before the Lord, before the priest, before the judges, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition and behold a witness, be a false and testify falsely against his brother. Then shall you do unto as he had done unto his brother, so shalt thou put evil from among you. And those that remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil. And the eye shall not pity, but life shall be for life, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Again, this is Deuteronomy. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 35. We're going to get into the New Testament here soon, but I just want to show you these verses here in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 35. Verse number 16, Numbers 35, verse number 16. 
It says, and if he smite him with an instrument of iron so that he die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. That's pretty plain there in verse number 16. The murderer shall be put to death. And he shall smite him with a throwing of a stone wherewith he may die. He die. He is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. It goes on from there, but the murderer's to be put to death. You know, if we were to follow in the Bible, we would put murderers to death. We follow the New Testament, we put murderers to death. Verse 30, it says, Whosoever killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. But at one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. Nobody can be put to death under just one witness. Verse 33, So you shall not pollute the land wherein you are. For the blood, it defieth the land. The land cannot be cleansed by the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. And so there's a need to put them to death. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It's a very rare thing for a government to put someone to death. And, uh, I mean, I'll just tell you, it certainly wouldn't, I, I don't think at all, it wouldn't, wouldn't bother me to see more people put to death and someone says, why doesn't it bother you? Because it's the government's job to do it. It's not my job to do it. But someone says, well, why would you see, want to see more put to death? Well, look at what happens when people aren't punished when they do things wrong. It says in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11, it says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. I'm not just talking about terrorism, but i just talking about these multiple, multiple murders that take place in our country. I think we could put these things to silence very quickly as a country if we just put those kinds to death. See, because once a mass murder was put to death, and the news saw the mass murder put to death, another mass murder tries to put people to death, and that person is put to death. Another mass murder is put to death. Pretty soon people get the picture, being a mass murder, maybe it's not a cool thing. It's not an in thing. It's not a crazy thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. It's not something to do. It's, it's something not to do. And here, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of man is fully set in them to do evil. Why are there people killing people in Chicago almost every day? That's crazy. If, if people knew that they murder a person, the government would come along and put them to death for putting someone else to death, you would see this stop quite quickly, I believe. Let's turn to Acts chapter 25. I mean, people don't fear it because they don't see the sentence behind it. It's not sentence. The sentence isn't executed. The sentence is not death. The sentence sometimes isn't what it should be. I just, you know, Boston Barmer still alive today. I just don't get that. I mean, that was against our government. That's against our country. It's against innocence. All these kind of people, and he lives still today. I mean, the last time I heard from him, he was spouting off, and I just, I heard what he said, it was just so grievous to hear. It was so grievous to hear. You can Google on him. I think his last name starts with T. I can't remember the last name there, but the Boston bomber, he's still alive today. He hasn't been put to death. 
Does that deter terrorists? If terrorists come here and they put them to death, maybe they'd stop. Well, it's just a thought. Exodus, Acts chapter 25, verse number 11. Is the New Testament, does that teach that people should be put to death? Well, Paul definitely believed that there are things that the government could come along and do when it comes to death. Acts chapter 25, verse 11, it says, For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things, whereof thou accuse me, no man may deliver me unto thee, I appeal unto Caesar. Paul was willing to die if he did something worthy of death. There are certain things that certainly are worthy of death. And so I just, just a thought, you know, does a candidate support capital punishment, does he support or she support punishing evildoers? We should. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Why would you punish them so people won't, we won't get more people to do it? That's the, that's the main reason. If you swiftly and you punish severely people that have been caught doing wrong and it's obvious they've done wrong and, and, they, and they've hurt some people, I mean, it's just, it's sad to see what goes on in our society you know, people put people to death and kill people and hardly anything sometimes happens. I know sometimes it does, sometimes it don't. But it's just such an unjust system sometimes. But uh, we should be supportive of, of uh, punishing the evildoer. Matthew chapter 22, verse number 21. Let me say this. Fourthly, key issues. How does this candidate stand when it comes to religious liberty? Now, that's something you may not have thought about, but what do, they, what do they think about religious liberty? Matthew chapter 22, verse 21, it says, and, says unto, uh, and they say unto him, Caesar, and he says unto, render unto them, uh, therefore to Caesar, those things which are Caesar, and to God, the things that are God. And so, how does the person stand when it comes to religious liberty? Are they seeking to safeguard the exercise of religion in a country? Are they seeking to safeguard, again, the beliefs of traditional, scriptural things in our country? Are they seeking to safeguard freedom of speech? Are they seeking, again, in a general sense, uh, to support the, the public display of religious things, like the Ten Commandments, or Judeo-Christian heritage? Are they pro-faith-based solutions to some things in life. You know, I think there's some help with some of these things. Uh, do they support the military chaplaincy? Again, having the ability to exercise their faith without government interference. Do they support free thought when it comes to religion? Let's turn to Luke chapter 9. You know God is for this? God is for free thought when it comes to religion? You say, I don't know what you're saying. I want, you'll get it here. Luke chapter 9, you might already got what I'm saying, but I'm saying you'll get what I'm saying here. I'm maybe not explaining it well here. But God is for free thought religiously. Notice here, Luke chapter 9, verse number 53. Luke chapter 9, verse number 53. The Bible says, And they did not receive him, speaking about Jesus, because his face was as though it would go to Jerusalem. 
And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And they went to another village. You know, there's been governments that aren't pro-religious. Freedom. Religious liberty. You say something in that country, you could be put to death. I mean, I could be in a country over in the Middle East, and I could say just a few words against Allah. I, I, I wouldn't live the rest. That day I'd be done, those countries. There wouldn't, be, there wouldn't be a Mike Paulson that existed anymore. His life would be over. Free thought when it comes to religion. Not some mandated and, and regulated. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 23. Not, not saying, you know, you can preach about this, you can preach about that, etc., uh, we're going to lose this religious liberty, I believe. If I live till I'm gray, I believe in our country we'll lose religious liberty. We will. Because we're headed that way. I mean, it could turn back, but I'm just saying, let's turn to Matthew 23, verse 30, 37. We'll lose religious liberty. We're losing parts of it now, but we could lose it all at some point. They could call anything and everything hate speech, hate behavior. They could. They could. Matthew 23, verse number 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent to thee, how often would I gather thy uh, children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicken on her wings, and ye would not. You know, God isn't, forcing, isn't for forcing people religiously. He's for, again, people choosing their way religiously. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus, he didn't say, you've got to do this. You have to do this or else. You can't do this, that, or the other thing. You know, as, and I'm not going to have us turn back there, but Romans chapter 13 mentions that the, the government is to be a minister to God for thee for good. It's good to have people regulated by the scriptures. And then let's look at finally, and again, we're going to just quickly turn here. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13, at verse number 4, and we're going to look at one more verse, and we'll be done here tonight. I don't know how long or short I've been, but anyways, we're going to be done here. Romans chapter 13, verse number 4, and how does the candy stand when it comes to national defense or protecting its citizenry? Romans chapter 13 Verse number four, for he is a minister of God for thee for good, for if thou do which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Does a candidate stand for a national defense in defending his citizenry? Are they pro-avenging those that are evil? Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Again, uh, it's not, again, sometimes that easy to get answers on what a candidate stands for or what they don't stand for, but they do, at least national candidates, do put things out, and you can find out normally through different sources, again, uh, where someone stands on some of these issues and other issues. But 
Consider the scriptures when it comes to voting for candidates and peoples. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 8, the Bible does say this. It says, there's a time for love, a time for hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. How does a candidate stand when it comes to national defense? Are they saying, you know, we may need to go to war for this? And what would be the reason for that, to avenge those that are evil? All right, some thoughts here tonight on some key issues or some other key issues. And again, I'll hopefully cover some of them. I'm sure I won't be able to cover all of them or all that you'd like to talk about, but, uh, or we could talk about, but let's close here tonight as we consider some from the Word of God, some key issues on life and peace. Let's close. Father, thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you again for the Bible that does guide us in truth. Father, help us to have the mind of Christ when it comes to doing what we do. And uh, again, I ask that you'd help us to do all to the glory of God. And uh, just bless this time as we consider some things when it comes to God and government and issues along that lines. We ask these in Jesus' name for our sake. Amen. All right. Some thoughts there. Be a help to you. All right. Thanks for coming here tonight. Again, have a good rest of the week. Lord willing, see you on Sunday.